just remain standing for the reading of today's text. Luke chapter 5, verse 12. And while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places. And on one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Well, we're not new to miracles in our study of Luke, are we? We've seen several of them. We've seen Jesus um, heal the the man who was demon-possessed in the synagogue. You guys remember that one. We've seen Jesus heal Peter's mother-in-law who had the fever. You remember that one. Uh, We've seen Jesus (laughs) catch every fish in the pond, didn't we? All of them, every fish, got every single one. We've, We've seen those miracles. Well, today is going to be a distinctly different set of miracles, as we've already read those together. And they're going to be different because what he's saying, remember, contextually is to Theophilus. And he's not just saying, hey, Jesus is a miracle worker, but he's starting to contrast for Theophilus the difference in how the crowds respond and how the Pharisees respond. The crowds up to this point have been growing in their applause, and today these miracles are going to scratch the Pharisees in a way that's going to start rubbing them the wrong way. And their applause is going to start turning to claws right before us, even in today's text. So, with that said, let's pray over the text, and then let's dive in. Jesus, thank you for this text. Lots could be said about it, but we don't want to say anything that is not what your intent was. And so, uh, Lord Jesus, as we dive into this text, would you, as we've prayed through baby dedication, as we've prayed through baptism, as we've prayed over worship, would you let this moment be another moment where your Holy Spirit just kind of takes this text and makes it pop, 
pop in our lives, pop in our hearts, pop in our minds. Um, make us more like you and more stunned by you today through this text. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. We'll be seated. <clears throat> well, there's, there's two ways to look at these texts that we've come across today. Way number one, I think we could call it maybe the typical way that people look at these two texts. You've probably, if you've grown up in church, you've, you've probably heard these texts. The healing of the leper, the healing of the paralytic, okay? The typical way that this is looked at is from an applicatory or application sense. In other words, here's the stories, now let's just kind of jump straight to application. Let's look at that application, and, and then if we'll hear the application, then we can run out of here, um, and, and we can do some great things. We can have some great points, some, some great life hacks, if you will. Uh, so I guess it would sound like this. One way to look at the text would be, hey, no matter the obstacles facing you, then run to Jesus and dive at his feet. Maybe you've heard this text said that way. The leper had this big obstacle and just run away from the obstacle, dive at Jesus' feet. Um, the paralytic had a great obstacle and no matter the obstacle, Jesus can heal that. So whatever's facing you in life, then just run from that obstacle and just dive at Jesus. That would be one way that you could look at it. And both of those are, are, are they're really great points. Okay, But I don't think it's Luke's overall point. I don't think textually that is what's going on in the text. I don't think, I don't think Luke is trying to tell Theophilus, Hey, Theophilus, no matter what's going on in your life... You can run over that obstacle and you can dive at Jesus' feet. There's so much more going on in the text. Again, great points. I just don't think that is the point of the text. So, the other way that we can look at this is, as we always do, exegetically. Exegetically being, let's examine the text. Let's fall on our faces in awe of Jesus. And let's not run out of here to dive and conquer our obstacles, but let's run out of here and glorify the Lord. That's the point of the text. It's always to magnify our amazement, our, our, our stunnedness, our, our, our awe of Jesus. That's what this text is going to do for us today. So let's look deeper, if you will, at the leper and the paralytic in parallel and let's see if we can, if God's gracious, what Luke is doing for us through the text. All right? This is going to be super quick. Um, if you have your pen and paper, there's going to be a lot to write. If you're a note taker, and I encourage you, I hope you are a note taker. It's, it's a great way to keep from falling asleep during a sermon. I'm going to say that. But it's a great way to, to hammer into the text. Just, just kind of jot down what's going on. But we'll blow through this real quick. I do want to look at this in parallel. So this is why this is already on the screen. You're going to see these two lines. Because again, Luke was, was a master um, at chronology and, and systems and organization. So he's trying to do something in this text, which is again why I think he places these two together on purpose. Not just to be seen as standalone sermonettes, if you will, but the overarching point. So let's look at them in parallel and then maybe we'll see what Luke's overall point was. God be gracious to us. Here we go. Parallel number one, you've got a man full of leprosy and a bedridden paralytic, okay? So you've got these two, and so both men are deemed completely useless in the eyes of society. I think that's what Luke's showing us through these two men. 
The leper was completely useless because he was an outcast because of his disease. The paralytic, honestly, you're kind of surprised that the man's still alive. Because as a paralytic, he had no rights, he had no inheritance, he, he was just kind of deemed and left aside. So these, both of these men are completely useless, all right? Parallel number two. The leper falls on his face and begins to beg. The paralytic has friends who are seeking to lay the man down on his face before Jesus. So, parallel number two, both men have reached a state in life that leave them completely humbled. Totally humbled. The leper, not by his choice. The paralytic, not by his choice. And even the friends, you can see them in this moment in utter humility doing whatever it takes to get this man, not just so that Jesus can touch him, but to get him before Jesus. And that's going to unpack itself further. So you got two parallels there. Parallel number three. The leper, we see his last hope when he screams out this, If you will... In other words, implication being, I know that you don't what? I know you don't have to. I recognize that. But if you will, you can make me clean. And then the paralytic's friends, this little phrase right here, catch it, finding no way. Utterly desperate in this moment. Finding no other way. They just had to tear the roof off the place. So, both situations really are the epitome of desperation. So, in this text, I think this is what Theophilus has a point. He's trying to say, look, look at man's dilemma. Man's dilemma is this, that man is in and of himself completely useless. When you measure yourself by the standard of Christ, you can walk away in one of two ways. You can walk away going, all right, I can be just like him. Or you can walk away like these two men going... I'm useless. I'm nothing like this man. I'm totally separate. And you see humility. Theophilus, look, the way they approached was totally useless in the eyes of society, but totally humble. The last thing they've got is, notice that the the leper doesn't come in with, hey, Lord, um, here's a million dollars. I'm going to lay this before your feet, and then maybe you'll smile at me. The leper doesn't walk in going, hey, I've got 15 things I can do to really show you that I I deserve your smile. He comes in and he goes, there's no other hope. It's only you. You're all I've got. And so you see this man's uselessness, man's humility, and then man's desperation. Finding no other way. They couldn't make it through the crowd. And so they're like, what's our last option? Well, here's what we'll do. We'll walk up on this dude's house and rip the tiles off the place. And in this moment, I think his his whole point in all of this is the only way one ever approaches Christ rightly is indeed in a state of uselessness, humility, and utter desperation. And I pray you've come to Christ that way. Have you ever found yourself at that point? Because I think that's ground zero for ever coming to Christ. And so if you've come to Christ, and maybe it was a, hey, yes, I can, I can really show him what I can do. I can, that's one way to come, but that's the way that the rich young ruler came. The rich young ruler came in, hey, look, I've got money, I've got this. What do you want me to do? I'll do anything for you. And then Christ tells him what? Go give it all away. If you want to come to me the right way, give everything you've got. Give it away. 
And the rich young ruler walks away going, I don't want to do that. I like my stuff. So the point I think he's approaching here is, is Theophilus, listen, this is the way that man rightly comes in uselessness, humility, and desperation. Why? Why does the Lord demand that we come to him that way? We've said this before, and I think it's worth saying again. The God of the Bible is a glory hoarder. He's a glory hoarder. He says it very clear. I will share my glory with no one. I'm a jealous God. No one will get applause other than me. And, and you can take that one of two ways. You can take that and go, oh, that seems kind of cocky. Or you can take that as, he's the God of the universe. No one can truly come to him and rob him of glory. He is the one who hung the stars. He is the one who stopped the ocean in its place. He is the one who breathed breath in your lungs. He is the one who knits together children in their mother's womb. He is that God. He, he, he alone deserves glory. And anytime we approach him with an inkling of, well, let me show you what I can do to earn your smile, is belittling to him. The way that we come is on our hands and knees, not with a puffed out chest and our shoulders back. That's the way we come to Christ. Have you come to Christ that way? We see man in this way. Uh, Paul says it, I think, clearly, and then we'll go on to parallel number four. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 12. And man, I hope this is the, this is, I hope this is our heartbeat as a church. I hope we utter these words right here. For my power is made perfect in my weaknesses. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then, and only then, am I made strong. It's the way we come to Christ. Parallel one, parallel two, parallel three, man's dilemma. Parallel four, five, and six, and seven, Christ's greatness. Let's continue. Parallel four. So Jesus says to the leper, now we shift. And he, Luke shifts in his understanding of, of what man is doing. And now he shifts to what Christ is doing for Theophilus to understand. Jesus says to the leper, I will And then Jesus says to the paralytic's friends that he saw their faith. In other words, he's looking at their hearts. So both were recipients of God's grace through faith. It's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For we are saved by grace through faith. Not anything that we've done, not anything that we can boast of, so that it all rests in the glory of Christ. And so in this moment... We see a picture of what does it look like to have faith. And I think it's deserving to say this again as a reminder of of, of what faith is not and then what faith is. Because faith, again, has been proclaimed around our town and other places as um, when God takes your dreams and makes them reality. That's not faith. In other words, faith being I express faith when I am hanging on and having full belief in an outcome. That's not faith. It's not faith at all. What faith is, is not in an outcome, but in an object, particularly a person. Faith is, I will trust in God's will no matter the outcome. And this is what he sees in these men. In these men, he sees 
They are coming to me, to Jesus, the person. I am coming to you, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. I'm putting everything, all my eggs, I'm putting in the Jesus basket. That's the essence of faith. And in this moment, we see this parallel. Jesus looks at the leper and says, you've got this, so I will. He looks at the men and sees their faith and says, I will. Parallel number five. Jesus then says, be clean. That's a peculiar word. Go study that. Chew through that some more. And then he says to the man, your sins are forgiven. So parallel number five, both men now receive Christ's deep cleansing. He touches them and doesn't touch them just on the surface level, but touches them to the uttermost. Number one, he makes the leper clean. And you can't understand that fully unless you understand Leviticus chapter 13. Now, for just your fun reading this afternoon, go study Leviticus chapter 13. It will bless your soul. The whole thing is about skin diseases and bald people. And if you're bald in this room, there's an out for us, okay? Eddie, we're okay. Yeah, yeah we receive that, don't we, Brett? All right? So, so he talks about all kinds of crazy stuff. But you cannot understand these words fully to this man. <clears throat> Jesus could have said, you're healed. But he doesn't. He says, you're clean. Now, what is he getting at? Here's what Leviticus chapter 13 says about the leper. The leprous person who has disease shall wear torn clothes, let the hair of their head hang loose, shall cover his upper lip, and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the, has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. In other words, if he's married, he shall leave his family. Get away from him, and his dwelling shall be outside of the camp. In other words, this disease had them utterly excluded from all of earthly life. And Jesus steps in and says, listen, because you bow to me, because you come to me, because you, you, your faith is in the, that I can utterly cleanse you to the uttermost, of uttermost I will. And he touches him and he changes his whole sphere of life. He brings his friendships back. He brings everything he needs back. But he touches him deeper than that because he's going to send him to the priest. That gets a little bit further in just a second. Now, that's why understanding the leper's cleansing is important. But you also got to understand the paralytic, he needed cleansed just as steeply. Because no, Leviticus 13 was not written about him. But Romans chapter 3 was written about him. Romans chapter 3 says it this way. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, all, they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. You see, the, the leper's disease put him outside the camp on the earthly realm. The paralytic's disease, other than leprosy, was the fate that befalls all of us. None are good. No, not one. And so not only are we outside the camp in a proverbial sense, but kingdomly, we're outside the camp. We have no way to get in. We have no access. Yes, we may not have a bowl on the outside of our skin shell that needs healing, but on the inside of our hearts, we are rotten to the core, and we need that fixed we got to have that, and we can't do it on our own. 
We can't cover it up. We can't hide it. The father of the universe looks down and he peers in and he goes, yes, you may not be leprous on the outside. If you don't know about leprosy, like your, like your, your limbs would fall off. It's kind of a gross disease, right? But the father looks down and goes, yeah, you may not be leprous here, but you need fixing here. And Jesus came not just to fix bodies, but to cleanse to the uttermost, to the soul. Why? Because souls to Jesus are more important than just bodies. Because souls last way longer. We got to have that fixed. You see in the parallel now? Jesus could have just healed the leper, but he still would have died. Jesus could have just healed the paralytic, but he still would have died. And both of them's fate is the same as ours. Unless this is fixed on the inside, who cares about the skin shell? And Jesus came to fix that. And so he comes in. And in this moment, parallel five happens. Both men receive Christ's deep cleansing. Parallel six. And immediately the leprosy left the leper. And then parallel six for the paralytic. And immediately he rose. Both men found immediate transformation. And I think there's way more to this that we'll unpack in the weeks to come. So I don't want to spoil it for the other preachers, for the other, other three J's that are going to stand before you in the, in the three weeks to come. But both men do find this immediate transformation. And you've never truly found your stride in life until you're met with Jesus giving you a brand new stride to walk for. He changes everything, changes purpose, changes meaning. He, in this moment, transformed them, I believe, in a sense of not only um, uh, practicality and application, but he justifies them. He makes them whole, which is the whole priest thing, and then also what goes on with the Pharisees. And then he also begins the sanctification process. When you come to Christ humbly, desperate, bowing, you're the only one. You've all I've got. In that immediate moment happens justification. You are made right, standing eternally before the Father. But he doesn't just leave it there. He begins to sanctify. He begins to put things in order. That is equally true. He puts your life in order. He puts your purpose in your marriage. He puts the purpose in your work. He puts the purpose in your hobbying. He puts the purpose. He begins to sanctify. And he does this work in and through you, for you, but ultimately for his glory. He does all of it. And he begins doing that with these. I think the, the cool picture, the leper is pretty cool. It's very cool that he's immediately cleansed and we don't get to see the ultimate outcome of how that works on his skin shell. But the paralytic we do. Think about this. Grasp what happens in this moment. This man is so paralyzed that he's having to be toted around on a cot. All right. How many of you have broken a bone? Broken a bone before? Been placed in a cast. Right? They take that cast off and what has happened to your arm or your leg or whatever? What happens? Yeah, it, it, it shrinks, it's healing, but it shrinks. What happens to your muscles? They kind of atrophy, they go away. You get that arm out of the cast and, and you're trying to move it and it don't work the same as it used to. This paralytic has completely atrophy. All right, so, so they're bringing him on a cot. He can't do anything. They put him down and Jesus says, listen, not only are you healed, but do what? 
pick the mat up and go walking home. Can you imagine the guy going, I haven't used my legs. I mean, you know, trying to, like a baby deer. You've seen the baby deer, you know, it's like a baby deer trying to walk. But no, this man gets up, boom, and he hits a brand new, I mean, this, I, he's strutting. He's probably hitting the Pisman pose with the cot. Look at this. You know, I mean, he, and he goes home. That's the kind of healing that Christ brings, not just a surface touch, but a get up, change stride, change purpose, change meaning, smile on your face. That's when we bow our chest out. That's when our head comes up because we're no longer walking for us. We're now walking for Him and His glory. Hallelujah! He changes everything to the uttermost immediately for this man. And then parallel seven as I wrap it up. And this is where I think it is. Beautiful community groups. Number one, if you're not in a community group, get in one. Number two, chew through this. this. Hang out here this week. This is where it's so yummy. All right? Parallel seven. Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. And then to the paralytic, the son of man has authority to forgive your sins. In other words, I'm the priest you need. Now let's look and see how this ties together. Both men's lives were pieces of the puzzle in Jesus' divine agenda. Both of them. Here's what I mean by that. Why did the leper have to go show himself to the priest? A couple of reasons. Number one, the leper did need clearance. He had to have earthly clearance to hit his stride In this context, he had to go see the priest. That is true. But number two, Jesus didn't want popularity at this point. He wasn't ready to be set up as king. Okay, so we know that. But why do I think, more importantly, Jesus is doing this in terms for Theophilus' ears to hear? Because Jesus is now evangelizing the priests too. He's changing the whole framework of the religious system. And Theophilus, if you remember, is going to stand trial for Paul. And the whole argument is Paul is now created a different religion. And what Luke is saying to Theophilus is, "Mm -mm." Jesus came and twisted the whole system by saying that he was the priest. He's messing the whole ball of wax up. And so he's evangelizing the priest. In other words, you go tell the priest because the priest would go... (laughs) Okay, it's obviously uh, obvious that you're cleansed. Now, what would be the next priest's obvious question he would ask? How? How? How did that happen? And then the man would say, there's this guy named Jesus, and he touched me, and everything changed. Can you identify with that statement? Has Jesus ever touched you, and everything changed? And your only explanation to the priest, to your community group leader, to your spouse, to your coach, to your whatever, is, I don't know. I just got touched by this man named Jesus, and everything changed. I think that's what's going on in this text. So he's rewriting the whole system. Peace, this divine agenda of Jesus is to to reorchestrate. Hey, you're waiting on the Messiah. I am the Messiah. I'm here. Go tell the priest the Messiah is here. And then with the paralytic, we see this. We see it with the Pharisees. 
an argument happens. Jesus touches him, and when he touches him, the first thing he says is not, rise and go walk. The first thing he says, did y'all catch it? Is, your sins are forgiven. Now, I don't know who is most shocked in this moment. I don't know if the man is most shocked, like, <laughs> wah, 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 which I don't think that's what happens, because I, I think he's there for a, a, a deeper heart thump, all right? But in this moment, I don't know if he's shocked or if the friends are shocked. We just ripped the roof off this place, and the words are, your sins are forgiven, or if the Pharisees and the leaders are most shocked. I don't know who's most shocked, but it doesn't matter who is most shocked Because in this moment, Jesus is using this as a point. He says, hey, I know that you're upset about that. Is it easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or to get up and walk? Which one is easier, guys? Think about it. You're like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to answer this one. It's way easier to say your sins are forgiven. I could say that. I could walk up to Johnny and be like, hey, Johnny, your your sins are forgiven. And in that moment, it, it's easier. Why? Because that demands no proof. It demands no proof for me to say, hey, man, your sins are forgiven. I can just, anybody can do that. But if I walk up and say, hey, Johnny, get up and walk and he's a paralytic, what does that demand? Proof. That's way harder. So in this moment, Jesus does this as a divine agenda to really just really shock the Pharisees and Sadducees and leaders. And it does. And not only does it shock them, but... Bring it back to the beginning. This rubs them the wrong way. Because in that moment he says, hey, get up and walk. Only God can do that. Nobody can deny that. Get up and walk. And if he gets up and walk, what does that mean about the statement, your sins are forgiven? That that equally is true. In other words, Jesus uses these two individuals as pawns. Pawns. To say, The glorious one, full of awe, is here standing in your midst. Don't be shocked that I healed a leper. Don't be shocked that I got a paralytic and said, get up and walk. Be shocked that I can reach into the depth of your soul and say, your sins are forgiven. Come on, church. Come on. We started out this text going, okay, the leper, I know the end of this. He's going to be cleansed. Yay, Jesus. The paralytic, he can't walk. Yeah, I know the end of this. He's going to get up and go running. That's cool, fun trick. Do you see Theophilus' point? If you're one of the ones who go, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not a leper and I'm not a paralytic. But man, in and of myself, I am useless. I am desperate. I am hopeless. And the only one that can fix my eternal problem is Jesus. Look in the eyes of the one who goes, I can forgive your sins with my touch. That should explode in our minds and hearts. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So point number two for Theophilus. Jesus came to live out his life as the perfect sovereign one so that he could die 
as the suffering servant who is our substitute for salvation. If you walked in here this morning with any other hope of being in awe and wonder, then you miss the point of the gathered body who gathers to celebrate the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. If you walked in here today going, man, I sure hope that we look at Jesus and we are stunned by him and we are blown away at what he does, then look no further than the leper and the paralytic and your own heart. Luke wrote this for you and for me by the divine inspiration of the Spirit in 2023 so that we would do the same thing that they do as we wrap it up. What does the text end with? And amazement seized them all. Are you amazed today that your sins are forgiven? Are you amazed? Are you stunned that your sins are forgiven? And they glorified God and they were filled with awe. When you contemplate your sinfulness and your righteousness, man, do you glorify the Lord? Does that fill you with awe? Does that seize you? Saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Church, if you need a reason to be shocked and awed and mesmerized and stunned and befuddled, and that's as far as my thesaurus and my brain will go, then don't you dare be shocked with a last-second touchdown pass in the corner of an end zone and not be shocked that the God of the universe has reached down through Jesus Christ and saved your soul. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus... You are the matchless authority. You are the one who causes life-changing worship. You're the one that Theophilus needed to hear had the authority to cleanse the leper and had the authority to cleanse the paralytic and had the authority ultimately to say as the, as the crux of the whole point of this text, the one who could say, your sins are forgiven. You're him. There is no one else, not Buddha, not Muhammad, not Allah, not any other of the false gods. You alone, Jesus, stand triumphant as the sovereign, perfect God of the universe and also as the suffering servant who died as our substitution. And so, Lord Jesus... If anything is said about Safe Haven Church, let it be said that they exalt in reverence and awe and glorify the matchless name of Jesus Christ above all and before all and for all who will bow the knee at your Lordship. Lord, you're the King. And thank you for being in our house this morning.